Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wednesday, week 14 edition of the NFL Roadshow. I'm Lindsay Rhodes with a very special guest today. The first one ever on the show that has a gold jacket, Hall of Famer, Super Bowl champion, and founder of the brand new, very good tape-oriented brand, Film Study, I guess is another way of saying that, QB Confidential. Also one of the nicest guys that you would ever want to meet, Kurt Warner. Thank you for doing this, Kurt. You bet, Lynn. good to see you and, uh, and good to be on. Kurt, I got to tell you, today is one of the, um, maybe the first time that I've been jealous of the fact that you have as many children as you have, <laughs> because uh, my son, who is six years old, is at his pod, and I have had to bribe him into babysitting my three-year-old a few times while we've taped the podcast. Um, and since he's not here, she's babysitting herself downstairs with an array of snacks and oh. uh, access to an iPad and Netflix. And so I tell you this just as a way of warning you that it might not work. And so we yep. might have a three-year-old visitor join us. Trust me, I've been there a million <laughs> times. So I fully get it. I got two grandkids now. So um I, I completely understand where, where you're going with that and, and bring her on in and, uh, and we'll just do it as a, as a threesome here. It'll be great. Yeah, we'll see if she has any football questions for you. You know, we've been breaking down some quarterback tape. Uh, I'm sure she has some thoughts. Well, as I mentioned, we've turned the page to week 14. According to Brian McCarthy from the NFLPR office, that makes us 75% of the way through the regular season. Kind of crazy. And things are changing in at least one NFL city. Let's go ahead and break the huddle. First up, we've got a new starting quarterback in Philadelphia, Doug Peterson, turning to Jalen Hurts officially now. So we will have a Hurts versus Taysom Hill matchup on Sunday as the Eagles host the Saints. Carson Wentz watching along from the sideline. 1972 Dolphins, still the sole members of the undefeated club. Steelers dropping their first game of the season to the Washington football team on Monday, and Larry Zonka celebrated with what appeared to be a scotch and a stogie in the comfort of his own home. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Carolina, it looks like the Panthers are working their way through a bit of an outbreak in their building, placed eight players on the COVID reserve list on Monday, including DJ Moore, who tested positive, and Curtis Samuel, who is a close contact. Christian McCaffrey, so far not included in that group, and will return to the field on Sunday against his dad's former team, the Broncos. That's real good news for his fantasy owners, who have only had him for three games so far this season. Uh, at least that's good for his fantasy owners that actually made the playoffs because losing your number one overall pick is no small challenge with which to uh, navigate the season. Giants are not saying if we'll see Daniel Jones this week against the Cardinals. They say they want to make sure he can defend himself properly, as in escaping pressure in the pocket if it comes, that sort of thing. Remember, he is recovering from a hamstring injury, so they're monitoring that this week in practice. According to Ian Rappaport, the Chargers will not be making any in-season coaching changes, so if a change is coming where Anthony Lynn is concerned. It will not happen until the season is over. And finally, a big birthday this week. Colts quarterback Phillip Rivers has turned 39. And ESPN celebrated by tweeting out a clip from NFL Films of his very specific style of trash talking with lots of dagummits and non-curse word curse words. Kurt, I know you are a non-cursor. <laughs> what is your go-to word in those moments where the rest of us might fire off a four-letter word. Yeah, I'm just a, a dang it guy. Dang you it. Know, just dang it. You know, I try to try to keep it there. So, yeah, it is always funny when you hear Philip Rivers out there when he's mic'd up. 
and talking trash and dang gum it. And you're just like, really? You know, when I was on the field, I just, I didn't say anything. Like, I, you know, you can't Nothing. be cool. You can't be tough. You can't talk trash if you're, if you're going to do it like that. It just doesn't seem to have the same kind of effect, but it's what endears us to, to Philip Rivers and what makes him unique. Yeah. It's, it has kind of a little, like his dad gum, it feels a little country. And <laughs> yes. so there's something about it, I guess, that does still feel a little bit like, I don't know. Uh, my my mom does not curse. And so we have some really um, interesting non-curse word curse words in my family that my six-year-old recently got frustrated and I heard him utter a sugar foot. And I was like, oh, sugar wait, foot. we need to, that's my mom's curse word. I like uh, it. Yes. What's wrong so, with that? Yeah, that's, that's a good one. It I mean, just, it feels a little, you know, this like little boy running around going sugar foot. I'm like, I, I don't know. We'll, have to, well, uh, we'll go with dang it instead. Yeah, we've, I think that's... we've come to the point, too, where my kids are just <laughs> like, Dad, we know it means the same thing. So just because somebody hasn't qualified it as a, as a curse word, we still know that you're, you're saying and oh. doing the same things we're doing, whether, you know, it's become that or not. So, you know, does it really matter what you say? So, that's you know, my kids have gotten point. to does, that point. Does intent matter? Well, that's what they say. We, we know the intent's exactly the same. So who cares what word it is, Dad? Like, <laughs> is that really that important? I mean, I know we've made some words taboo, but it's really the intent that you're angry and you can't control yourself. And so you're just screaming out something that somebody told you to say. So anyways, that's what happens when you have seven kids and they get older, Lynn's, is there's just all kinds of ways that they use everything against you. But when was the last time that that the discipline left your body and a word that you would consider a curse word actually left your mouth? Playing basketball. Oh. Um, yeah. So when I get competitive and, uh, yeah, we're in one of those moments where Break sometimes. Well, yeah. Well, it, not so much that, but just the competitive part when playing with somebody and somebody's kind of pushing the limits and. Every once in a while, and, you know, it's so funny because when we're playing, too, it's like the whole game stops. Like somebody could be on a fast break, and if I said something, it's like, whoa, whoa, hold up. What? Did you just say that? Did we just hear that? And so I try to cover it up real quickly. Like, no, that wasn't me. But, um, but yeah, everything stops when that happens. They understand what kind of state I'm in if it, uh, if it gets to that point. Well, I bet Carson Wentz has dropped a few dang it's this week. <laughs> Uh, it's been a rough one for him sent to the bench in favor of the rookie Jalen Hurts. Is that the right call for the Eagles? Yeah, I believe it's the right call for them right now. Um, there's just there's so many things going on. And what you realize when you watch the tape and some of the issues that they're dealing with and having played the position, I fully understand uh, when you get into those modes where you just know you don't have the pieces around you necessarily to make up for you know, you not playing at your best. And so you're constantly pressing and you feel like you've got to make every throw and, and every throw has got to be perfect instead of just reacting and playing. And that's really where Carson Wentz is right now. And, you know, the next part, Linz, is that there's been some deficiencies there before, but because he's such a great athlete, you know, especially you go back to that, you know, MVP type season that he had, he made up for so many of those deficiencies with just special play after special play after special play. And just what you realize is I don't care how good you are. You will not be able to live in the NFL thinking you're going to continually week in and week out, year in and year out, make special plays to, to overcome your deficiencies. 
they will always catch up to you. And that's really where they're at right now is some of the deficiencies in his technique, some of the deficiencies in, I believe, how he's been coached or how he's being coached to read, uh, read particular plays are, are working against him right now. You know, and then you add in a shaky offensive line and all kinds of moving parts outside, and you get a guy that is just pressing and trying to be too perfect. And, and um, you know, and it's just not a good situation. And sometimes you do need to take that step back. And, you know, and I think it's twofold, too. It's, you know, give Carson a chance to step back. And, yes, we're going to get a chance to see Jalen Hurts, but we're also going to get a chance to see all these issues that we've been talking about are they going to be an issue for anybody that's behind center or is it Carson is just struggling and can't get out of his own way and we need to put somebody else in there. So I think a lot of questions are going to be answered maybe for or against Carson Wentz uh, in making this move to Jalen Hurts and seeing where they go from here. You said that you think he's been taught or coached maybe to uh, read particular, uh, you talked about his ability to read. What, what do yeah. you mean by that? Okay, so there's, there's a couple different philosophies um, to play in the quarterback position. And the, what seems to be the overriding philosophy, really at the high school and college level, and it's starting to infiltrate the NFL, is what we call pure progression reads. And so what that means, Linz, is that you design every play in your playbook, and every play is specifically designed to say, okay, the quarterback is going to read – X to Y to Z, no matter what coverage they see, no matter what goes on out there, you are going to read it this way um, every single time. And then the other philosophy and, and what I buy into is that X could be my first guy that I'm reading or Y could be my first guy or Z could be my first guy, depending on what coverage I see. So what does, you know, what does our play attack or how do we attack that particular coverage? So my, my read could start different ways. Beyond that, the pure progression read teaches less to look at defense and more to look at your receiver. And so is that in what, anticipation of what they think they're going to see on defense? No, it's just the pure progression that we want you to look at X first. So and so Waller is your first read. Right. You know, and so you're going to look and you're going to decide, is he open? Okay. And if he's open, throw it to him. If he's not open, then you move to the next guy. And so the reason I, I believe it's really kind of, taken over is because, you know, you want the best player. Like when you go to college, right? I don't want to have to spend two years getting my best player ready to play on the football field. So the best way to do it is go, okay, here's the play. All you need to do is start left and work your way right. We can get you on the field right now. And a lot of these guys are, hey, you're looking at X and maybe you get to Y, otherwise run around and make a play. But I can get you on the field because it's very simplified in that process. The problem is, is when you get to the higher levels, uh, if you don't know what the defense is doing, so you're trying to read and decipher, is this guy open? Okay, how long do I stay with this guy to decide if he's open? Or what does open really look like? I mean, how do I tell you, Linz? That's true. Okay, open to me and open, open to you are two totally right. different things. And so you're trying to go through that process. And so there's no timing. There's no understanding of the big picture. And so more and more of these young guys are getting caught because they don't know what the defense is doing. So they get caught looking at one guy. And then once they decide that guy's not open, everything else is falling apart. Because if I'm looking at you and I say, well, if Lindsey goes back, I'm going to throw it to the guy underneath. If Lindsey comes up, I'm going to throw it to the guy behind her. 
that's easy, right? To me, that's simplifying the game to go, all I got to do is know where Lindsay's going. And then I make my decision. If I'm looking at my guy going, okay, is he open? Is he not open? And I don't really know what you're doing. You start falling into this trap of, um, of looking at your receivers, no timing, and, you know, I actually did something on QB Confidential last week, and it was on Carson Wentz. I watched and, it. Oh, there was also some Baker mixed in there. Yeah, there was some Baker mixed in there, but there was one on Carson Wentz where he had Dallas Goddard running down the middle of the field. And Bobby Wagner, from the snap, turned and ran with Dallas Goddard. And so in my mind, I go, oh, well, he turned and ran. I'm going to throw it to the guy that's coming into that area because he's voiding it. Whereas Carson's going – yeah, he ran with him, but can I get it to Dallas? I mean, is he open enough that I can still throw it to him? And so that's the dilemma that you fall into is, oh, sure. I still think I can make that throw even though he's running with him, whereas I'm saying that's just too hard. He runs with him, hit the voided area, and those are the two different approaches you have. And I think a lot of young guys are struggling with this pure progression because they don't really understand what's going on, and they're trying to just – throw it to the open guy, and it's, you know, it's good in backyard football. It's not quite as good when you're playing in the NFL. Or you, you wait and see if that guy's going to get open, whether you can get the ball to him, uh, if you're Carson or Baker in this scenario, or go to the, the guy who's your second read, according to what your coach has already told you, as opposed to knowing who's open based on what the defense just did. Well, and that's basically what I would say, is that if I see Bobby Wagner run with Dallas Goddard, I'm going right to my second read because my second read should be coming into that area. So I'm basically reading that area to know, oh, does Bobby Wagner sit so I can throw it over the top of him or does he take off and run and I'll throw it underneath him. But it becomes a simple read to me because all I got to do is look at 54 and whatever 54 does, he can't be right as opposed to trying to decide, well, was he right enough? You know, was my guy, did he get a step on him? Can I make that throw? And you know, it's just a tough place to live as a quarterback. And that's where Carson is because you get stuck on guys too long. You get off of guys too soon. And looking at the defense to me has always been the approach that will always let you know. I know what the defense is doing. It gives me, you know, the advantage to know where I'm going to throw it and how to be successful. Okay. So I think uh, I'm very interested to get your thoughts on. Uh... We're doing this here on a Zoom meeting, right? I need to pull out my big board behind you and show you exactly, exactly. what I'm talking about because I, I know, know it can get a little bit confusing. But, um, but yeah, it's there it's, on QB Confidential. So right, just yeah, follow there's, it there's on Twitter and you can stuff, find sure. all the video examples yep. of what you're talking about. Tua Tonga-Vailoa hasn't exactly lit the world on fire in his first few starts down in Miami, but he did have some success in the third quarter of this last week's game against the Bengals when they switched things up and they went no huddle. All of a sudden, things are clicking for him. He's 13 for 16, 162 yards, a touchdown in that quarter alone. His offensive coordinator is Chan Gailey, and he has said that he is not a fan of no huddle because it limits the quarterback's ability to read the defense pre-snap, some of the things that I'm assuming you're talking about. But it worked for Tua, and Gailey acknowledged that and indicated that he was open to doing more of the no huddle stuff with Tua moving forward. Is that a good move for Tua? long-term or does it just put a bandaid on something that he does need to get better at? Yeah. I mean, I think anytime you just say, you know, if it's as simple as, Hey, let's change to no huddle. And all of a sudden we're really good. Well, then there's an issue somewhere that goes beyond that. I mean, 
if you're really good, you should be able to be really good whether you huddle up or you go no huddle. You shouldn't just have one package that separates us. Um, but yeah, there, there's, you know, it's an interesting philosophy that you talk about with the no huddle because as Chan Gailey was saying, yes, there's times it can complicate it for, uh, you know, quarterback because you're rushing up there and, and you're trying to do things really fast. And so sometimes, hey, I don't get a chance to really see things the way I want to. The other philosophy is usually, well, if we're going fast, then the defense has to go fast too. And so it usually simplifies what the defense does so they can't confuse you as much. So there's always that give and take. Here's the thing when I see Tua. Right now, Tua, you know, has done a decent job for a young quarterback. But he reminds me of, and let me just throw this example. He reminds me of an Alex Smith, where Alex Smith is a really good quarterback. But the knock on Alex Smith for the longest time is that he's not aggressive. He's not looking to make the big throws down the field. He's looking to get completions. And you can be successful and you can win in this league. And Alex is a great example of that. You know, he's done so many good things. But it's hard to really win at the next level until you're willing to push the ball and, and, and be aggressive and challenge defenses with what you do as a quarterback. The next and level so, in this case being like what the playoffs are. Yeah. I mean, and again, a very good team. I, you know, I'm not worried about, you know, I know you're probably looking more at this year. When I look at these young quarterbacks, I'm kind of looking at big picture and going, you know, this could just be a young quarterback that's doing some good things and getting the ball out of his hands and looking for completions because he understands we got a good defense. We're not great offensively. I just have to manage this thing. You know, or to me, the bigger picture is what are you going to be as a quarterback throughout your career, right? Are you going to be Alex Smith, which at the end of the day, I mean, 95% of quarterbacks that play in this league will take Alex Smith's career all day long. You know, Andy Dalton, another guy, right? Go to the playoffs, you know, eight out of 10 years and, and do a lot of good things, get to a Pro Bowl, but never really push the envelope to winning a championship or pushing, uh, you know, your team to the next level. And that's really what I'm looking at with Tua is that there's a lot of things I like from him as a young quarterback. And you mentioned that third quarter last week. He did start to take some of those second-level shots in that third quarter. And he made some of those throws and some difficult throws. And so, you know, you, your eyes kind of you perk up a little bit going, okay, maybe we're, we're taking that step forward. But that's really what I want to see is – with all these young quarterbacks, the question, you know, they've played well. You know, whether they look at Burrow or Herbert or, or Tua, they've all done some good things early in their career. But the bottom line is, will they develop in the other areas to become a more complete quarterback? Or is what we're seeing early going to kind of be what they are uh, moving forward in their career, uh, which won't be bad, but it may not be to the next level. And, and I think that's always the key is you get a young guy and can you win with him? Or can you win championships with them? And, and that becomes the defining factor between a lot of quarterbacks. You know, there's, what, 10 guys in the league that you're going to win a championship with, and everybody else falls in the other category, and it's not bad, and you can get to the playoffs. But, you know, most teams want, you know, get that young quarterback to be one of those guys like the Patrick Mahomes and the Big Bens and, and those guys that can take you to a championship. And we're just not quite sure what they're going to be yet. Yeah, that good enough category to me is the most problematic category to put a quarterback <laughs> in because it's so hard to find a quarterback that if I was a fan of a team that had a quarterback who fell into that middle tier, uh, I would almost rather have a quarterback that I knew was not good so that we could go find that guy who could get us the whole way. 
Well, no, no. That, but that sounds well. It sounds good. You're you're right. I mean, it sounds good because it 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 lets us say, oh, it's easy for us to move on. The problem is, once again, there's only ten guys in the world that can win a championship for you. You know, it's not like you know these guys you know grow on trees, and that's the reason why you know the Miami Dolphins have been searching for thirty years yeah. for that guy. The Denver Broncos have been searching for thirty years outside of the, the few years with Peyton Manning. There's only so many of those guys, and so. But if, but if you're one of those teams in the middle, they're not going to take you the the, the well, whole way where you want to go anyway. So just I think isn't it like philosophy. an odd situation? Go draft somebody, and maybe that guy will be your Patrick Mahomes, who turns everything around, and maybe he's a bad example because we're talking right, about somebody right. who's like one of the best yeah. ever right out of the shoot. But well, I think the philosophy has to become right. Is that if you have one of those middle of the road guys, you realize we need to make sure that we have a good team around him. So, yeah. you know, we've seen over the years, right, there's been some of those guys that have won Super Bowls. You know, a lot of people, you know, will point to a Brad Johnson or they'll point to a Trent Dilfer. But in those situations, what came along with that was a really good defense or, you know, a good running game and a good defense. And so that becomes the dilemma is we've got a playoff-type quarterback that can play well enough to get us to the playoffs. Do we scrap him in hopes that we find the Patrick Mahomes or the Aaron Rodgers? Or, or do we say it's probably more likely that we can build a team around them that may take him to – I mean, how about Eli Manning? Eli Manning's a great example. That is a great example. Right? Yeah. Is that, you know, he wasn't great year in and year out. I mean, outside of the years they won the Super Bowl, they hardly ever went to the playoffs. They hardly ever did anything. But – he was a guy that in the big moment was good enough. He could make big plays in those moments. They build a good defense around him and they won two championships. So will you take that? I mean, you know, would you take that? Like, again, I don't know throughout his career. I think they went to the playoffs four times in his entire career, which was a long, you know, 15, 16 year career, but he won two championships. Are you taking that if you're Cincinnati or, you know, the char I mean, whoever, are you willing to take that? Or as you're saying, I'd rather have a lousy guy so I can see if I can get the really good guy um, when there's only there's only so many of those guys that, you know, will ever, you know, will ever play in this game. But you also have to realize, well, then we got to get in the right position to make sure we can get that one guy, you know, when he comes along. And so it is it's 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 a crazy proposition, but it's what makes that position so vital and so important and why we talk about it so much, because either you have one or you don't. And <laughs> Do the Chargers have one now? I'm not sure yet. Um, I do like Justin Herbert. I like what he's done. He's actually exceeded my expectations. I didn't expect him to be, you know, this good, maybe throughout his career, but definitely not this early. He's good in and, tough situations, under pressure, on third down, all of those things that you don't really expect a rookie quarterback yeah, to thrive and, in. And he's a big playmaker. And so that's the one thing that you love is that you've seen, you know, we talked about Tua being kind of good with the dink and dunk and seeing things and not making a lot of bad decisions. But what Justin Herbert's kind of on the other side where I don't think he's very good at the short stuff, <clears throat> but he's really good at the deep stuff. So you're kind of going, okay, this is kind of backwards, but if I had to build somebody, I would say, well, okay, I'll take the big plays and then we'll work on the other stuff. Because if I have a big playmaker that's a difference maker, you know, in each and every game. And so that's what I really like about Justin Herbert. He's going to have to get more consistent in making what I call the layups, 
right? The easy things, the throws you're supposed to make every single time. He's got to get better at that. And, you know, again, we can look at all the stats and the stats look great, but I'm a big believer that making the layups is what accumulates into wins. Making big plays are great and they're exciting, but you have to make the plays you're supposed to make consistently because that's what sets your team up to win. And so Chargers are a great example, right? They've been in a lot of games, you know, they, they've had some moments, but they can't win. And again, if you can't make those plays you're supposed to make on top of a few special plays you make, it's really hard to win in this business. Um, and, you know, and that's what you kind of wait and see. I, I think Deshaun Watson's another one of those guys that he's phenomenal. He's, you know, as incredible a playmaker that we have in our business, but he's not great at making the layups yet. And so it's very easy to point to, I mean, I know they've got issues everywhere around him. And so obviously that, that you point to those things, but I also wonder sometimes would they win more games if he gets better at the layups at, at understanding what he's seeing and getting the ball out on time and not trying to run around and, and one time making a special play, but the next time taking an 18 yard sack. And so there's always that give and take with these guys that, again, Justin Herbert, like where he's at, uh, just don't know what he's going to be as a complete player three or four years from now. Who's a quarterback who falls into the category of somebody who does make all of his layups, but maybe lacks the flash to generate conversation from people like us on a weekly basis? Hmm, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, because I think oftentimes you have one or the other. Like I would have said Andy Dalton was one of those guys. That Andy Dalton, I was a really big fan of him. He read the coverage as well. He had good anticipation. And it led to playoffs every year, right? And, but, but that's all it was, was the first round of the playoffs because he never wowed us right. with the next step of it. And so there are some quarterbacks. What about that, Tannehill? Um, Ryan, I, I like Ryan. You know, the, the thing to me about Ryan is that within the system that they play, he makes a lot of big throws. Um, the problem with Ryan is when you force him to have to play outside of what they're doing as a scheme, he's not yeah. nearly as good as what he does in the scheme. But he does make a lot of bigger throws. You know, I, I think we – yeah, you're right. We think about that team as, you know, Derrick Henry and then, you know, big play action throw here or there. But, but Ryan Tannehill makes some really tough uh, throws on a consistent basis within their system. Uh, but that to me is really just – going to be the question with this team I mean well their defense will be the question but um but you know when they get into the playoffs again Ryan's going to have to go on a run and, and they're going to probably have to be able to play the way that um they're built to play otherwise I'm not sure Ryan's got well just from ahead or at least in a position where they can continually run the football and play action you as opposed to have to get away from that and fall on Ryan to have to read the entire field and make the big plays and, and not have some of those big openings that they get through, through the play action. Which is what we just saw on Sunday with them falling into a pretty big hole against the Browns early and unable to dig themselves out and unable to give Derrick Henry the type of volume that yep. we typically want to see from Derrick Henry. Uh, part of the reason that they fell behind so early was because Baker Mayfield played out of his mind. Uh, there was a very different Baker Mayfield that we saw on Sunday as somebody who watches him more closely than most of us, what was what was the difference? Was it the Titans' defense? Because you could cynically say that 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 was part of it, but 
clearly you have to be able to take advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing with Baker is that, you know, we've seen this all the way back to his rookie year. That cat can make some throws. I mean, he can throw the football and, um, you know, the question just becomes, and I love the quote that he had, you know, this week when somebody was asking him what the change was. And he said, well, every time I do something, I ask myself, would an idiot do that? And if the answer is yes, then I don't do it anymore. And so I, I understand where he's coming from because early on, a big part of his game was I can make every throw. So, you know, I don't care. Kind of like we were talking about with Carson Wentz. Oh, I don't care if that guy's running with him. My guy's got one step and I'll make the perfect throw every single time. And we just know that that doesn't happen in this business, but he would play with that mentality. And you love the aggressive, you know, I can make every, you love that mentality, but the great ones find a way to be judicial with that and say, okay, yeah, I, I think I can make that throw, but, but I can't try that throw every time because Bobby Wagner ran with him and this one's easy. And so I got to make that easy throw instead of always making the big throw. And so in this game, um, he made some great throws. I mean, he played good quarterback. And it, and it wasn't just because they were running the football and all that. He came out and dropped back and made some throws. Now, the question with Baker, though, is I've seen him do this before. And he struggles with consistency when he has to play drop back football. He is really, really good when they run, you know, naked bootlegs or play action. And they give him space he makes a lot of big-time throws down the field doing that. The problem is I don't know if you can count on him if you put the ball in his hands 35 times every single week to do that because he's got a lot of deficiencies in his game in terms of seeing the field and some of his technique issues will catch up to you if you ask him to throw that much week in and week out. So I love the way that they're built, and I think Baker is a good fit for the way that they're built. and I believe. At any, any given Sunday. And so they're a team that when they're going to make the playoffs, that somebody's going to say, I don't want to play them because we know what they can do in the run game. Mm-hmm. We know Miles Garrett on the other side. But if, if Baker hits the lottery and has one of those games, or if he gets on a streak, he can do what he did this past Sunday. And so they're a scary team. And you know, just like the whole conversation we've had up to this point, The question with Baker is, who is he going to be the rest of his career? Is he going to have to be a guy that can play in play action and throw the ball 25 times and have a perfect system around him? Or can he take that jump to what we saw on Sunday to kind of harness all of that and be able to be more judicial where he can make those throws but not make the bad decisions to go with it? I think a great, you know, uh, comparison would be Jameis Winston. Jameis yeah. Winston is that guy as well. He, is made, he makes more throws and more good reads um, than most guys in this league. He just can't – he hasn't figured out how to get out of his own way. And which Can you throws, figure that out after a certain point? Is that a reasonable expectation I, to expect quarterbacks to take – you know, you're at a fork in the road to go the right way right. At, after a certain I, amount of experience? I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I think that's one of those questions that we would have to get inside somebody's head – to understand the difference because, you know, I was a guy and and obviously the game was different, but I was a guy that threw a lot of interceptions too, but there was always a method to the throws that I made. And there were always, I made throws and, you know, sometimes reasons that people didn't see on why they became interceptions instead of completions. But 
the flip side of that was even though I would make some of those mistakes, I would always make more plays than mistakes in most games. So I'd always be able to, you know, overcome it. One year I led the league in interceptions. Uh, it was the same year that I won the MVP. You know, my son asked me about a month ago. He's like, Dad, how in the world did you win the MVP throwing 22 interceptions? And I told him, I said, I won the MVP on every throw outside of those 22 interceptions. <laughs> and, and we ended up going How many touchdowns two that- in that year? Six touchdowns that year. And we ended up going 14 and two. And so that's the is <clears throat> I don't care about interceptions. Interceptions can have, they can have a positive effect on your team. If a defense is scared that you're going to take certain throws and attack down the field and that you can make every throw that you can't ever take a snap off as a defense. I don't care if you get one, cause I'm going to get four or five because you're, you're scared to death of what we're going to do. And so, but it's being judicial enough that you can win games, even though you might make a couple bad decisions. And that's where, again, Jameis Winston, when he gets back on the field, and Baker Mayfield, where they are in their careers, that I know they can do it. I know they have the skill. But will they be a bigger liability um, for their teams moving forward than they are a benefit for their team? And that becomes the, the critical question for guys like that that can really play the game. You just articulated for me a lot of why I like Jameis uh, and have liked him within this Saints offense. They obviously chose Taysom, and he's coming off a great game. I've been a proponent these last few weeks of I kind of would prefer to see Jameis run this offense, particularly with the Chiefs coming up, uh, and they're going to put up points, though the Saints defense has played so well, is because of what he does, if he can cut back on the turnovers, just cut them down. Like He doesn't even eliminate them. It's what he does to that defense, just the fear, as you said, yeah. uh, that he strikes in the defense, knowing that he could take a shot on any play and connect downfield. I like what that brings to an offense. Obviously, Sean Payton understands more about what's best for his team than I do. And Taysom did play well. Did you see anything from him in this last game that that tells you whether or not he can have success long term in this league as a starter or even in the short term, long term, just for the rest of this year? if they need him to stay out there, if Drew Brees isn't able to come back before the playoffs? Um, I'm not sure, uh, once again, depending on how you play the game. You know, like a Baker Mayfield, I mean, I think Taysom has showed us that he can make some throws. um, And when he's comfortable with what he's seeing, um, that he can make some big plays for you in the pass game. The question to me would simply become, what about that one game where our defense isn't playing lights out? And I've got to throw it 35 times and not just like this. I know he threw it 37 times this past week, but they were never really threatened in that game in any way, shape or form. And he threw it 37 times and they scored 21 points. And so this wasn't a game where he was just picking the you know, defense apart and moving the football up and down the field and putting points on the board left and right. And he hasn't done that yet. And so that's my question is that i like, you know, you got to love the progression. You know, week one, he did some good things, even though he was kind of up and down. Week two, he really struggled against Denver, right? I mean, you know, in a weird situation, but weird he just he didn't look the part either. He was thrown into coverage and really wasn't seeing the field. Week three, they put more on his plate, and he handled it better. He got through his progressions. He got the checkdowns. He wasn't forcing a bunch of balls. So I like the progression that's being made here. 
but I can't really answer your question yet. I, I, I'm just a, I'm a firm believer that um, there has to come a time if you want to become a franchise guy or a guy that can be a starter, uh, you know, or deserves the big money or however you want to look at it. There has to be a time where the game has to fall on your right arm. And can you consistently make the plays you need to make to win games or to keep your team in a game when everything else goes against you? And uh, because come playoff time, very seldom do you win three games playing to your strength. You know, it's like I go back to 99 when we won the Super Bowl and we won the NFC Championship game 11-6. to six. I mean, the greatest show on turf. We can't be stopped. We won 11-6. to six. You know, our defense had to shut down the Tampa Bay Bucks for us to get to the Super Bowl. And so inevitably, every team comes up against that team that matches up well against them. And what we do well, they're going to stop it. And we're going to have to beat them a different way. And that to me is where great quarterbacks separate themselves. The guys that can say, doesn't matter what you do. At the end of the day, I will keep us in this game simply because of what I do. And once again, there's only a handful of those guys that can do that. And, you know, those are the guys that you see play in multiple Super Bowls or, you know, put themselves in that position year in and year out uh, are the guys that can do that. And um, if you don't have one of those guys, once again, you know, I mean, it falls back to, hey, we're going to get this far every year and then we're, you know, we're never really going to have a chance to compete. Or there may be that one special year, like look at Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan has an MVP year. Everything comes together. They run their way to the Super Bowl, and they have been awful since they got to the Super Bowl. And Kyle it, I, well, right with that, but but just when you look at talent, yeah. And I, I even said this the other day. I'm like, how in the world can Atlanta not score points and not win any games? I mean, yes. none. They don't ever push the envelope anymore because they just they're too talented. But I think a lot of that falls back to Matt, who's a really good quarterback. But I don't think he's a great quarterback, even though he had a great year. Cam Newton, I think, would be another argument, right? Special, special talent. Great year. But is he a guy that year in and year out can sustain that kind of level to give you a chance to win championships every year? They haven't shown it. And so that really, you know, becomes we were talking about Taysom Hill, obviously, you know, that, that I don't know if he can be that guy. You know, I haven't seen enough. And you ask, can guys learn that? Well, we got to remember, Taysom is, is 30. You know, he's not like, I mean, he hasn't played much, but he's not like the 24-year-old guy that, oh, he's just getting a shot. He's 30 years old. And, you know, well, teaching old dogs new tricks. He I might mean, be what he is. Right. I mean, I, I don't know. Or does he have enough time? Like, yeah. if, and again, I, I'll use myself as an example. I mean, I was 28 years old when I got my first start. And so I was pretty, you know, honest with myself that Kurt, this is the only shot you're going to get. Like somebody else isn't going to go, Oh, well he's 29. Let's give him a shot. You know, it's like, you're going to get one shot at this thing to show whether you can be a franchise quarterback. And if you don't show that you're probably never going to get another shot when you're, when you're already 30 years old, if you're 24, like a Jameis 25, I believe Jameis will get another shot to prove that he's a franchise guy because of the good things that he did. And he's still young enough that we've got a chance to build around him. But that's the problem with Taysom is I don't know, you know, I don't know if he's really going to get that legit chance to grow into 
being a franchise guys or guy or if it's just, hey, I'm going to be the backup here and I might get three games, I might get five games, I might get a season, but maybe never be a franchise-type quarterback. Well, I could sit here and ask you questions all day long, but I think there are a few other people who have contributed <laughs> some queries uh, for you, and we'll get to that in just a second. It's your midweek mailbag, plus a preview of the first game of Week 14 featuring one of Kurt's former teams. It's the Rams and the Patriots. That's after this. All right, Kurt, it is the Rams versus the Patriots. Rams favored by five over under 44 and a half. And I don't know what to make of this one because I don't know what to make of the Patriots. <laughs> How in the world did they blow out the Chargers 45 nothing with a 69-yard passing output from Cam Newton? Well, I think they're starting to find their identity and who they are and who they want to be. And, you know, we talked a little bit about Justin Herbert, young quarterbacks. Uh, you know, that's what Bill Belichick feeds off of, right? Anytime I play a young quarterback, I'm going to give him a bunch of different looks and he's not going to know what to do. And we're going to get some opportunities because of that. Um, and that's really their formula is they don't want Cam Newton to have to throw for 250 yards because, I mean, not only Cam Newton is not that quarterback, but they don't have the pieces around him to be that kind of a team. And so they want to get into games where they can control the line of scrimmage. They can force young quarterbacks to make some mistakes and they can run the football offensively and then hopefully get a play or two like they made on special teams this past week. Um, but I don't know if they have another formula to really compete. And so that's what you're going to get. And so the question always becomes is can the other offense jump up on the Patriots? If you can't jump up early, it is going to be a slugfest and it's going to be ugly. And we're going to try to win the way that we, you know, are built to win this year. And, you know, really, you know, as of recently, they've, they've done a nice job with that is, you know, they've stuck to what they do. Um, and they've been in a lot of close games and had opportunities to win a couple others. I mean, Buffalo played so great, you know, on, on Monday night football. And now, you know, you're looking at a team, they're going to have to play the Patriots again. The Patriots lost that game because of a fumble by Cam Newton going into the red zone with a chance to win late. And so they find a way to keep games close, ugly. And I just believe that's going to be their formula moving forward if they're going to, you know, maybe sneak their way into the playoffs. Can they cause the types of problems for Jared Goff defensively that we've seen him struggle with this season? The Athletic did a great deep dive on the, the types of pressure that he struggles against, which is not just blitz. They went and they looked at the tape and said it's specifically inside pressure that really forces him outside his mechanics and, and causes him to break down to a degree. Is that a problem that the Patriots can create for him in this game? Uh, they can. And I, and I don't think it's just, you know, I know we always throw the term pressure around and there's so many different ways to look at pressure. To me, what gives Jared Goff problems is when you force him to have to hold the football, that it's not, I mean, if you can get quick pressure on any quarterback, I mean, that's a recipe for success. I don't care who they are, you know, that, you know, most quarterbacks struggle when you could find ways to pressure them and bring blitzes and get press on them quickly. But Jared Goff, where he struggles is he struggles in the drop back game. That's not really how the Rams are built. Um, he struggles in the drop back game. And when you take away his first guy, so he's got to process things and then figure out where to go with the football. And he finds himself holding the ball in the pocket. He's not a guy that's, that's, 
quick in terms of reacting and he doesn't throw the ball extremely quick. And so that to me is the key um, is to find ways to get him to hold the football. But it really starts with, can you slow down their run and play action game? Jared Goff is really, really good outside the pocket or really good when he comes off a of play action. I think one of the best in the league with all the things they do with naked bootlegs and they are great at it. They have, I mean, it's a huge part of their package. When they get away from that or when they're forced to get away from that, he has struggled this year. When they come out early and they have success with that early, he's been great this year. And so that becomes the real question. And, uh, and I do. I, I like the way New England is built. Uh, some of the things that I've seen from, you know, Coach Belichick all the way back to, you know, 2001 when, when we played him in the Super Bowl, uh, he's got some different pieces that he'll use uh, to try to really hold the edges. And if you can hold the edge and not let the quarterback get outside, it puts a lot of pressure on Jared Goff. So that's what I watch every week with the Rams is I want to see how they come out early. And if they come out early, able to move the pocket and get Jared Goff into that rhythm, they have a great chance to have success that week. If they don't do that early and they force him to have to try to make plays inside the pocket, uh, he usually struggles a lot more in those games than, than the others. It's funny you talk about them holding the pocket specifically because I just had a conversation with somebody about this. I think it was on Sunday as we watched them play that they're not a team that seems to value sacks defensively, that it's almost like containment is more important to them. and They don't want their guy going to get the sack because if he misses, then it opens something up outside. Have you ever talked to Willie about that or or whether or not that is something? It's, It's very much about the integrity of the defense more than it's about individual stats. And so we've got roles for everybody. And Coach Belichick does a great job of defining those roles for each and every person. And I do believe that they take that approach is that if we can keep a guy in the pocket based on what I'll do on the back end, right? I will give a defense a number of different looks or we've got a number of good players or, you know, we'll we'll make them look like one coverage and at the end we're going to snap to something else so it forces that guy to hold the football We'll do enough on the back end in most cases to force that guy to hold the football. And then with the integrity of what we're doing up front, we will get sacks that way. Or we will get our mistakes, the mistakes by the other team being made that way, not by, hey, we're going to you know, sign Chandler Jones to a long-term deal and say, hey, we got the best pass rusher, let him go one-on-one. That's just not how they're built because it is very much about the integrity of what we do. We know this works. And we need to get guys that will buy in and understand that. Um, and, it, you know, it's why, like, the Kyle Van Noys, guys that really didn't play well in other places, but he brings them in, they find a role, they play kind of a linebacker, defensive end, hybrid, they're smart, they play their role, and those guys end up win cha- winning championships with the Patriots, even though you go, who is this guy? You know, where did he come from? I mean, I'm – you know, he's never done anything before or after that you ever really hear about, but he's really good in that system. And, you know, Dante Hightower was another guy that I don't ever think gets the respect that he deserves. And I know he's, he opted out this year, but he is such a difference maker for that defense because of all the different things that he does and how smart he is as a football player. And that's the approach that they take oftentimes, um, you know, is, hey, we're going to play good, solid defense and we're not going to give up a bunch of big plays. And, in the past, it's been well, and Tom will do enough to win games that way. Um, you know, now it's hey, Cam, don't make any mistakes, right? Run the football. If you don't have it, take a sack. 
and punt it away and we'll force somebody to go the long distance and we'll just make this thing ugly. And, you know, that's going to be the real question is can they make it ugly up front early for the Rams? And if they can, now you put Jared Goff in a position that he doesn't want to be in and, and you've got opportunities to make some plays on the back end. Okay, I'm going to ask you to pick one Rams Patriots. I'm going like? Rams. I'm going Rams. Rams. Uh, can, yeah, I can just, you not go Rams? You'd go against the Rams if you felt like. Yeah, no, right. right? I, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm always going to be honest with uh, with what I think. I just, again, I, I'm with you that I, it does. It wouldn't surprise me if the Patriots found a way to to maul them. You know, very much like the Super Bowl a couple years ago. I mean, you remember? I mean, even Tom didn't do anything against that defense, but they had Jared confused, and you know, they changed up what they did, and so it wouldn't surprise me if the Patriots win this game. I just don't think the Patriots have as many ways to mm-hmm. win this game. And so at this point in the season, I'm always going to go with the team that I think can beat you more ways. And, um, you know, with an offense that's not great against a really good defense, uh, and then, a, you know, an offense on the other side with the Rams that, that can be great but can do enough, um, you know, I just – I feel like the Rams are going to win this one. I just don't think the Patriots are that good of a football team, um, and they have to get – you know, make the game go the right direction to win. So uh, I'll go with the Rams in this one. I agree, largely because I just can't explain what the Patriots have been doing. It's like they're just maximizing all of the little things that they can from a coaching standpoint. Uh, but if you look at it on paper, even two weeks ago, they won a game with 179 net yards. And I was like, how did they win this game? It just doesn't make any sense. So for that reason alone, I'm a little bit wary to pick against them. But I think that the types of teams that they've been winning against lately have not been of the caliber of the Rams. So uh, let's take some questions. Just a couple here. I want to get you out. We've got a midweek mailbag. And the first question for you, Kurt, is from Louie. And I think this one's very interesting. What happened to the Steelers running game this year? Because the Steelers have gone all in on the pass. I think it first got my attention when they were playing the Bengals. And you think, okay, they got a big lead in the second half. They're going to run it out. It's James Conner time. And they didn't do that. They just continued to pass. They were like, this is what we are. This is what we do. And they've completely abandoned it. And I wonder if that's going to be a problem for them as they head into the postseason. What do you think their strategy is there? I think their strategy has really become that the strength of our offense is our short passing game. And so getting the ball out of Ben's hands and getting it to our receivers, um, And it really becomes like a run game. And so I think sometimes the mentality changes for a coordinator. And and I've even been through this at the high school level where I never had like a great offensive line. And so, you know, I would have people say, well, run the ball more. And I would say, well, you got to count these really quick throws that we're having the wide receiver screens. You got to count those as runs because all I'm trying to do is get it to my best player out in space. So I don't have to block guys up the middle because We're not dominant there. We haven't been great there, but we're really good at this other thing. And I think that's what the Steelers, A, that is what their strength is uh, with a lot of those young receivers. And B, they've just gotten comfortable with that, that this has become kind of what our MO is. And, you know, we've seen the last couple weeks, the problem with that is you still got to throw and catch it, right? I mean, Mm. it, it seems easy, but, you know, they've had seven and eight drops the last couple weeks. These young guys, come playoff time are going to be counted on to have to make every one of those plays as opposed to just handing it off. Cause you, you know, still on paper, you should have a pretty good offensive line. I mean, they've been great, you know, in the past game, you know, been big Ben's 
hardly ever getting touched back there. And I know a big part of that is getting the ball out of his hands, but they still on paper have a really good offensive line. You know, when Pouncey comes back, maybe they change, but I'm with you is there's always a, a, a level of dip, the degree of difficulty when you have to throw the football, no matter how far you're throwing it, ball could be tipped up in the air, get intercepted. Like we saw last night, right? Somebody drop it. Somebody misses a block, but I just think that's their comfort zone right now is, you know, we will take, you know, a dink over here and three yards because it's just like handing the football off. And so that becomes a, an extension of their run game. And so I think we all look at it differently and go, well, runs are really when you hand it off to the back. Pittsburgh looks at it and says, well, that's not necessarily the case. Anything we throw on the line of scrimmage, we feel like that's just a run for us because we've got an advantage numbers wise or we've got a guy out in space. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think at some point, you've got to be able to pound some people um, because there's just too many things that, that factor in when you're throwing it that much, even if it's a, a controlled, simple passing game. Well, let's just hope that James Conner and Benny Snell haven't forgotten how to do that by the time they decide that they need to do that in a game. Next question is from Mason Taylor. Who is your favorite quarterback to watch play in the NFL right now? Is this too obvious? The answer? Um, is it the same as the rest of us? No, it's not. I mean, I do love watching Patrick Mahomes play. I mean, I think anybody that's a fan of the game or a fan of the position loves to watch, you know, Patrick play. But my favorite quarterback to watch is Drew Brees, um, simply because he plays the game like I played the game. He plays the game with his mind, and he is so quick with his decisions, and he's so good with his technique, and, and his accuracy is, is second to none that – you know, I always have to check myself, especially since becoming an analyst, Linz, because, um, you know, we always talk about this bias that we have, you know, in whatever realm of, of life, we have these yeah. different biases that are built in. And so when I first became an analyst, um, there was no question I had a bias against these athletic quarterbacks that didn't play the game the way that I played it. And so it was hard for me to give them the props that they probably deserve because I felt Playing quarterback is about this, seeing defenses and reading it and getting the ball out on time and being accurate with the – that's playing quarterback. And, you know, over time, I've come to appreciate that not everybody is going to play quarterback that way and it can be played and, and successfully played different ways. And so I've come to appreciate that more. But at the end of the day, I still believe if you can play like I did or you play like Drew Brees does or, or Tom Brady – you can win every single Sunday. If you have to play athletically and, and do all the special stuff, it's going to be touch and go no matter how great of an athlete you are. And so I still always fall back to that fail safe that you got to be able to do this. And that's what I love about the game because it's the hardest part of the game of seeing and reacting and all these different things that you get. And then guys in your face and being able – and so I love watching Drew play because – he's as good as we've ever seen at doing that stuff, seeing and dealing and making the game. I always tell my young quarterbacks how, you know, we want to make the game as easy as possible, as quickly as possible. So I want to eliminate as many people as I possibly can on a given play as fast as I possibly can. So it simplifies it. So, Oh, I'm just reading that guy. Boom. Balls out of my hands. He does that as well as anybody. And so I love watching drew. Um, and I love watching Patrick. I just think, Patrick is Patrick's got a great combination of right is is unique skill set and he's really good inside the pocket as well. I just watch him sometimes and I don't know if he gets bored 
you know, sometimes playing or if, you know, sometimes he falls into, I can do all these special things. So he gets away from playing the game the way I would like to see him play the game, like playing mentally first and physically second. And he tries to do too much sometimes. And I think he's done that a little too much this year. And it's the reason why they've had so many close games. Now, he's so unique and special that he pulls them out most of the time anyways because of what he does. But I want to see if he can harness that and become really good inside the pocket and then add the special. And if that happens, I think without question, he becomes the best quarterback our league has ever seen. Um, but he's going to have to harness that. And, and I, I liken it to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers was more like that early in his career, got away from that uh, you know, for a period of time, you know, for whatever reason. Now he's back to harnessing that again with a good system and what he's doing. And you're seeing, you know, I mean, he's second to none in what he does when he puts all that together. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's a fun to watch all of that stuff and see how it's going to play out throughout the guys' careers. But Drew Brees, yes, and Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it's, he's must watch TV no matter, no matter what. Is there a young guy in the league who is following that same cerebral nature path, yeah. somebody who you enjoy watching and think has the ability to turn into, you know, a long-term yeah. career like a Drew Brees, that type of thing? Joe Burrow. Oh. Joe Burrow has been extremely impressive before he suffered the injury extremely impressive in his ability to simplify the game, know what he's seeing, know where he wants to go with the football. And he's actually been more impressive physically than I thought he would be, you know, coming in, I thought, ah, he's going to be average physically, maybe not make, you know, that many of those special throws down the field. He was better at that than I expected him to be. And so I'm really excited for his future. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot to be determined here with the, the knee injury and coming back, but have to believe he's going to come back from that but yeah the way he plays cerebrally um really was impressive and I would have put him put, put him probably top five in the league wow. in terms of in terms of what I'm talking about seeing the field understanding it getting the ball out of his hands yeah it was it was really impressive and you know you, you didn't know I mean you could notice it by stats I mean he was going for 300 yards a game and but they had so many issues around him that he had to overcome a lot. Um, like but yeah, himself he gets, alive. Yeah. Right. Get hit on every play and, and some of those things, but yes, very, very impressive. So I'm really, really excited to see what he becomes throughout his career. Well, high praise Bengals fans will love hearing that from you. Tell us more about QB confidential and what's coming for that. All right. So QB confidential, I'm looking to launch at the beginning of the year. And so what it is going to be, is it's going to be a platform, a website, um, designed to teach all the, uh, all the nuances of the game. And so for the first year, there will be content delivered five days a week. So, so Monday like a subscription thing. It'll be like a subscription based. Uh, yeah, okay. there'll be obviously some other stuff that's out there on the social media that, um, that you don't have to pay for, but it'll be five days a week. Uh, Mondays will be in the classroom. So I get up on my blackboard and, and teach kind of the nuances, the little, uh, details that go into learning the game. Tuesdays, I'll go out on the field. And so it'll be all about, you know, quarterback technique um, and understanding how to connect. I call it the ABC. So it's arm, body, and core, because too many people think throwing is all about the arm, but it's more about the body and the core and connecting it all. So it'll be on-field stuff. Wednesdays, I go into the playbook, uh, which is one of my favorite things. I love the X's and O's and 
and teaching the nuances of what makes a good play and why. I, I think too many people just throw plays out there because they've seen somebody else do it, but it's why you do it and how you run those things. And so uh, that'll be on Wednesdays, Thursdays. Uh, I've got a section that'll be called outside the box. So that's really me, you know, taking, it's kind of like a, a Ted talk every week where I'm taking different stories and different parts of my journey. And it's more the mindset part of it, uh, the mental side of things uh, and being able to share that. And then Fridays will be my study ball, which is what you see on social media right now, where I kind of take what I'm doing throughout the weeks. Uh, and then I get to break down NFL film. And, you know, for those that are on the next level to take some of those concepts and ideas that I've talked about, whether it's the playbook or the classroom or even on the field, and then show it on the big screen and be able to teach it that way. And so uh, it's going to have a lot of different arms to it. I think it's going to be unlike anything else that's out there in terms of the amount of information and the different uh, aspects that you're going to get. And so obviously it's going to be targeted towards coaches and yeah. players, but young quarterbacks. I think, yeah, young quarterbacks. Exactly. Um, and you know, there'll be facets in there for the entirety, for, you know, cause I know I've already got defensive coaches that are watching my study balls and, you know, sending them back to me and go, Hey, you know, you taught me this, or it's making me think about different things. So I think it'll be, you know, it's all going to be designed around the mindset of a quarterback. Um, but it will touch on really all the different positions from protections, offensive line, defense is what they do. Um, and then obviously for fans and, you know, I should say not just for fans, but fans, I have a lot of fans that, that love it. Um, analysts, that's one yeah. thing that I've, I've sent some of my stuff to, uh, different announcers and different analysts out there. And they're like, Oh my gosh, tell me when this stuff comes out. Cause it gives them a chance to learn the game a different way than, uh, you know, especially some that have never well, played. It's just like game. if you guys were sitting together and watching tape, they have right. the benefit of your experience and expertise while they sit and watch it. So right. of course, exactly. So I, I'm extremely excited about it. It's uh, you know, it, it's so funny that, you know, we all look at, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic and, I know it's been crappy for a lot of different reasons, um, but it's been the first time that I've got a chance to slow down in the yeah. off season and not do anything. And so what happened was I had colleges and college coaches calling me and said, Hey, you know, will you go over our offense with us and, you know, break it down for me and tell me what you like and what you don't like. And, you know, so, and I would have guys come out and want to work out with me. And I'm like, here's my one opportunity to build something because I've always wanted to, coach the masses and being able to share my knowledge with everybody. And, you know, NFL network, you can do so much, you know, mm -hmm. being a, a color person, you can, you can share so much, but you can't really go into depth. And so it's given me the yeah. opportunity to, to really build this thing. And, and I'm excited about it. I think it's really going to be, you know, great for anybody that loves the game, but specific people for sure that it's going to help them take the, you know, their knowledge to the, to the next level. And, uh, you know, hopefully it'll help some players and coaches, uh, fulfill their dreams by being able to, to to watch and have me share some of those things. And I want to have an interactive piece kind of like you did here where people can watch it and they can send me, you know, comments or, or Hey, tell me more about this. And, um, and that to me is what I'm passionate about. It's what, it's what I love. Well, and that'd be and great for it too. Cause it helps you focus on what type of, I mean, you have all the content up, upstairs here. Yep. So, you know, what do people want to know about? Right. I mean, Guys like you and Tony Romo and people who are, who know so much about the position and are so passionate about uh, the position and then the NFL in general, I mean, that's contagious. So right. the fact that you found an outlet to 
yeah. um, put all of that into, I think that other people will benefit from is outstanding. So that's coming at the beginning of the year. We'll look for the website and all of that stuff. And in the meantime, we'll follow you on Twitter at QB Confidential and also Kurt 13 Warner. Yeah, uh, QB Confidential, you can go to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I've got it. It's all over all the social platforms. And yeah, Kurt 13 Warner is, uh, is my personal account. So uh, yeah, like I said, I'm sprinkling some of the stuff out there here and there to get people excited about it. But uh, nobody's really seen the extent of what QB Confidential will be. So I'm excited to, to launch that and get it out there. Me too. I've enjoyed following along uh, for just football nerds like myself. And I assume <laughs> the people listening to this podcast probably fall into that category because it gets a little nerdy sometimes. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really fun for me. You bet, Lynn. Anytime.